0: We want to welcome everyone this morning, those that are worshiping here in our sanctuary, uh, those that are worshiping with us in our summit worship, and of course, all those that are worshiping us from home today. Uh, We're glad uh, that we can come together and honor our Lord. He is certainly worth it. Uh, If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 21. Gospel of John chapter 21 and then I'm going to back up two or three verses, and I want to read to you the end of chapter 20. Our focus today in 21, but, but the last two verses of chapter 20 are interesting. The Bible says Jesus performs many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. And so John, the book of John is filled with these signs, seven of them in fact, uh, that point to the... To the wonder the power the 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 awesomeness of of jesus so he says though that there were many others verse 31 but these are written so that you may believe that jesus is the messiah the son of god and that by believing you may have life in his name now here's what's interesting that seems like the end of the book right that's how you would wrap it up that's how you'd put a period on the end of the Gospel of John, but if you'll notice, there's still one more chapter. It's a, almost as if this is a postscript, a P.S. It's, it's as if the Holy Spirit had John write this down and conclude the book at the end of chapter 20, but then he said there's still some unfinished business. And the unfinished business, when you come to the end of chapter 20, is Peter. The disciple, the apostle, Peter, We've seen them all the way through the Gospel of John, but we come to the end of chapter 20, and it cannot be the end of the story of Peter. And so this last chapter, a postscript, the unfinished business, here we find out what happens with Peter. Now, let me give you a little bit of a biographical sketch so you'll know where we are when we come to this place. Uh, Peter, just, just really a few days prior to this, maybe a few weeks prior to this, He was with the other disciples. They had gone, they had been led by Jesus to Caesarea Philippi, had an opportunity last year to go to this place and take some of you. And and here at the bottom of the mountain, the headwaters of the Jordan River, uh, it is called the Gates of Hell because this is a place, a center of pagan worship. And so there would have been Jesus and his disciples, the backdrop, would have been these pagan worshipers calling all kinds of things objects, spirits, God and worshiping these and so Jesus said to his disciples who do people say that I am and and the disciples suggested a few things and then Jesus said but who do you say that I am and this this was Peter's shining moment Peter said you are the Messiah the son of the living God And so that declaration, and if you know your Bible well, you know that that is so important in all that the Bible means and all that we read in the Gospels. And Peter was the one that said it. But let me tell you, from that point forward, things went down, down, down for Peter. Let me just walk you through what happens in the next few days. Jesus tells the disciples that he's... He's going to be crucified and that they're going to turn their backs on him. And Peter gets in Jesus' face and says, Jesus, you're wrong. And Peter also, in in the same breath, says that his faith, Peter's faith, is so strong, it is stronger than the faith, his trust in Jesus is stronger than the trust of any of the other disciples. He says, I will never fall. And so I don't don't know if you need some advice this morning, but if you're with Jesus and he says something, don't get in his face and tell him he's wrong. And so Peter's headed in the wrong direction. Jesus responds to Peter's foolish words in Mark chapter 14 by, by saying, well, first Peter says, even if everyone falls away, I will not. And then Jesus said, today, this very night, Before the rooster crows two times, you will deny me three times. So now what's Peter going to do? Is he going to confess his sin? Is he going to humble himself before the Lord? No. In the very next verse, Peter says, Jesus, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And on Peter goes. In the next few hours, uh, Peter makes so many bad decisions. His faith is so suspect. Uh, just a short while later, Jesus asks Peter and two others to pray for him. Uh, Jesus says, I'm going through a very hard time. I'm, uh, this is just a, uh, the night before, the day before my crucifixion. Pray for me. And what did Peter and these two disciples do? They, they quickly fell asleep. And so Jesus wakes them up. Listen, men, this is serious. I need help. Pray for me. What did Peter do? He fell asleep again. Jesus wakes him up again, urges him to pray again. And what does Peter do? For the third time, Peter falls asleep. And then the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. Jesus knows that this is part of the plan. And so he's submitting himself to the soldiers. What does Peter do? Peter pulls out his fishing knife and attacks the soldiers. In fact, cuts off one of their ears. Jesus has to stop the fight. He has to calm Peter down. He has to heal the man who just lost his ear. Peter just doesn't seem to be able to get anything right. And after that, the Bible says that Jesus went one way with the soldiers. Peter fled the opposite direction. And then... Peter finally returns and he's he's outside the area where Jesus is is on trial, where they they took Jesus through this sham trial before his crucifixion. And so a lot of people are milling around outside just waiting to see what's going to happen. And so Peter just joins the bunch and somebody says, aren't you one of those Jesus people? And Peter says, "I, I, I don't even know Jesus. So somebody else says it. Peter denies Jesus again, and then denies Jesus a third time, and then he hears the rooster crow. That got his attention. Luke twenty-two sixty-one 61 and 62 says, at that point, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Apparently, Jesus was being led out of one building, perhaps to another building. And as soon as the, the rooster crowed, and Peter realized what he had done, he looks up, and there's Jesus looking into his eyes. And the passage goes on to say, So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, and he went outside and wept bitterly. So Peter had humiliated himself. He was embarrassed. He was crushed. Can you imagine how he must have felt? And then just to make a bad situation worse, the next day Jesus is crucified. And so Peter would have seen Jesus hanging on a cross and dying. And he didn't fully understand everything that was going on, but he would have understood at least this much. Now it's too late. There were still things that needed to be said, there was a confession that needed to be given. I wanted to restore this relationship, but now it's too late. Jesus is on the cross, his his life is flowing out of him. It's too late. Peter would have been just crushed. Well, then there's the resurrection. Seem to catch Peter by surprise. We're so familiar with the story that uh, that, uh, that we know that that's that's what happened next. But but between the resurrection and John twenty one verse one, there is no Bible evidence that Jesus and Peter really had any any conversation. This was a wound that was still open. Peter must have still felt estranged from the Lord. And we come now to John twenty one this postscript to the Gospel of John because there's unfinished business with Peter. So let's begin reading. Verse 1, it says, After this Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called twin, Nathaniel uh, from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other of his disciples were all together. And so several of the disciples are together, and, uh, and they're fishing. We see that in the next verse. Verse 3, I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. Uh, Peter just wants to go back to what he knew. Uh, before Peter met Jesus, he was a fisherman. That was familiar to him. His heart is broken. He doesn't know what the future holds. And so he goes, he goes back. We continue to read in verse 3. We're coming with you, they told him. And they went out and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Uh, Scholars say that there's some significance to the word the here in verse 3. They didn't just go get a boat, they went and got the boat. Uh, Perhaps they've they've now gone back and they've dug up Peter's old fishing boat. And he's back in the business. This whole Jesus thing has come unraveled. And so Peter has just quit. Well, they don't catch anything through the night. Verse 4 When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? Now, I don't know a whole lot about fishing, but I know that this is about the worst thing you can say to a fisherman at the end of an unsuccessful fishing trip. And and it's interesting that the word friends, it's in italics in in, in my Bible here. It's it's a word in the Greek that is most often used for children. It's as if this guy, whoever it is, and we know it's Jesus, but they don't know at the time, says, listen, boys, have you caught any fish? And they said, no, end of verse five. And now, if if asking a, a fisherman at the end of a fishing trip that, has been unsuccessful if asking him about it is the worst thing you can say. What's the next worst thing you can say to a fisherman? Well, it's right here in verse 6. He gives advice. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. They must have been so frustrated at this point they had fished all night. They were professional fishermen. Who's this guy on the shore? Criticizing them, it would have seemed from their perspective perhaps, and now giving them instructions. And so they did it, it says. Probably just to show this uh, foolish man that he doesn't know what he's talking about. It says, though, in the middle of verse 6, so they did. And they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Now, does this sound familiar to you? It did to them. Verse 7, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's, that's John. He wrote the book, so he gave himself some uh, some, some street cred here, I suppose. Uh, it, it, it says, uh, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, lost myself, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, now listen to what Peter does now. He tied his outer clothing around him For he had taken it off, he'd taken his robe off, uh, and he plunged into the sea. And since they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish. Peter is so excited, and we'll see more about this in a moment, that he can't wait. He puts on his robe and he jumps in, he starts to swim. Uh, there is no indication that he makes it to the shore before the boat does. Can you imagine the other disciples? They're just rowing in. There's Peter. You know, Peter, you can ride with us if you want to. But Peter's got his robe on. He's fighting as hard as he can, trying to get to shore. There's some significance to that. Verse 9 says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish flying on it and bread. So Jesus said, ate breakfast." Verse 10, bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. And so Simon Peter climbed up and hold the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, even though there were so many, the net was not torn. So Jesus said, hand me a few more fish. Now Peter, who's just trying to impress everybody, then goes over and gets 153 fish. It's so many fish. They really expected that the net would break. I don't know if this is 100 pounds of fish or 200 pounds of fish. Peter's dragging up those fish for for Jesus to cook on the grill. Seems a little excessive, doesn't it? Look at verse 12. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Uh, This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And then in the next few verses, there's going to be a conversation between Jesus and Peter. Uh, We know who Peter was. We know the things that he has done. We've seen something of Peter's personality even in in these few verses. Now look at the conversation. It says, When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Jesus asks, what I imagine was an odd question. Do you love me more than these? I think it likely means more than these other men love me. I'll show you why in just a moment. And Peter says, of course I love you. Then Jesus responds, feed my lambs, he told him. Verse 16, a second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, Jesus told him. And then he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now there are some different words here used for love throughout this story. And, and, and I know that uh, you know, oftentimes people look for meanings in those different words. But, but I think the best way to approach this is just to look at it in the most simple way possible. Jesus has now asked the same question three times. Peter's upset about that. It goes on to say, Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus Jesus said. Peter had failed in just about every way a disciple uh, could fail. Uh, He had embarrassed himself before his friends. They had heard him say, I will never deny you. He had embarrassed himself before his family. He had embarrassed himself before the Lord. He had failed to keep his bold promises. He he was filled with shame and with regret and with condemnation. And I'm sure he was asking the question, have I gone too far? Have I failed too badly? Have I broken my promise too many times? Is there any hope left for me? I think that's an important place just to pause because I'm sure that some of us have been in that place. I I know I've asked those questions before. Have I failed too badly? Have I gone too far? Have I broken a promise too often, Lord? And, and, And I imagine there are people right now, you're wondering, is it too late? Can I ever be right with God again? Have have I blown it? Has my sin just risen to a level? Or has it lasted so long that I've severed my relationship with Jesus? And so Peter is asking those questions. We see here the answer in in these last few verses. What I want to do then is to show you just step by step by step how in these verses Jesus restores Peter. Peter's going to learn some lessons here and we're going to learn some lessons and we're going to see how Jesus restored Peter and we're going to see how we can be restored when we fail and when we fall. So how can we come back to the Lord? Number one, we will not come back by extraordinary effort. Uh, now the next two instructions are going to be positive, not negative. And, and And I know you're you're not supposed to start with a negative point, but, but this is perhaps the most important thing to learn here. You, you will not come back to the Lord just because of your extraordinary effort. Notice what characterizes Peter. And you see this all the way through the story of Peter. But right here in this story, we see that he jumps in the water. He's swimming to get to Jesus. All the other disciples get to Jesus just fine in the boat. But Peter puts on his robe, swimming with his robe through the sea next to a boat as hard as he can. And then we see him with the fish, 200 pounds of fish, and he's dragging across the sand. Jesus said, I need just a few more fish to feed people. And and Peter's just determined, if you ask for a few, I'm going to bring them all. And he's trying to drag all of these fish. I don't know if Peter is trying to impress the disciples. I'm not sure if he's trying to impress Jesus or if he's trying to convince himself But Peter just was a man who always turned to the extreme, to the strenuous activity, to these grand commitments. When he would fall, when he would struggle, he would make promises, he would do these extraordinary things to try to impress the Lord, to try to earn his way back to the Lord. That's not how, that's not how we come back to the Lord. Let me read to you a few days earlier, Mark chapter 14. Verse 31, when when Jesus and Peter were having this conversation about Peter saying, or Jesus saying, Peter, you're going to deny me, and Peter says, I'm not. Listen to the full verse. It says, Peter kept insisting, if I have to die with you, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. It says that, that Peter didn't just say it once. Peter said it over and over and over. Do you see Peter's personality here? Jesus said, you're going to deny me. He said, I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to deny you. I will never deny you. I promise I won't deny you. I will not deny you. Over and over, the Bible says he kept repeating this. And I think of of the time we've already really pointed out that Peter must have, in the Garden of Gethsemane, really felt bad that, Three times Jesus asked him to pray and three times he failed Jesus. And then now uh, some scholars believe 600 soldiers, soldiers, professional soldiers show up to arrest Jesus. Peter feels bad because he failed. So what's he going to do? He pulls out his knife and he's going to attack 600 soldiers. Do you see you see this pattern in Peter's life? He gets in trouble. He knows that things are broken between him and God. And so he goes to these extremes. He makes these extreme promises. He takes these extreme steps to try to somehow earn his favor back with God. But the truth is that doesn't impress God and that is not what Jesus has asked for. Peter thinks that somehow he has to prove himself. What he he forgets is that that Jesus has already made a way to come back. Peter thinks performance, that his acceptance with Jesus is based on his performance, but the gospel says that our acceptance with Jesus, our acceptance with the Father, is something that is offered to us as a gift, not because of some grand promise, not because of some strenuous, amazing feat that we do, you now, sometimes uh, I get an opportunity as a pastor to sit down with, with somebody who's sinned really badly and they've gotten caught or they've uh, ruined part of their life and, and they're embarrassed and they're ashamed and they're filled with guilt. And so we'll sit in their home or my home or in, in my study here and, and we'll talk about it. And oftentimes there are other family members in the room. Can I tell you how that goes more times than not? Uh, the person who has sinned is so broken that he or she, it could be either one, just starts making promises. And, and they're making promises to me and to the Lord and to the rest of the family. And they're saying, listen, I will never do such and such ever again. I promise you, I'll never even think about it again. I will never even sin again. In fact, I'm going to read my Bible every single week for the rest of my life. The whole thing, Genesis through Revelation. I'm going to go on a mission trip once a month. I'm going to give, I'm going to give half my money to the Lord. And they still start making these gigantic commitments, all these big promises now, what do, you, what do you do with that? You know, as a pastor, what, what am I to do when you hear that? Well, it, it's, it's tough because all those things are good, right? We need to repent of our sins. We need to get serious. We need to, we need to look for ways to not sin again. We need to go to the Lord and confess and repent, surely. And we need to make spiritual commitments and set goals and grow in our lives. But... When I hear somebody make those kinds of grand promises, when I hear somebody make those extreme statements, I know I'm listening to a person that just doesn't get it. Like Peter just didn't get it. Jesus was not asking him to swim the sea. Jesus was not asking him to bring 200 pounds of fish over to the fire. Jesus just wanted to sit down and have breakfast if you look at the if you look at the text here that's all Jesus asked Peter, why don't you have a seat? let's have some breakfast let's spend some time together he, Peter had to learn that it wasn't all by his extreme efforts he had to trust Jesus. there's a verse in Revelation chapter three that, that'll be familiar to a lot of you and I love this verse and I've I, I'm sure I've used it often in preaching just, just here in the last year. It's such a, such a helpful verse. But, but there's part of it that I've never, that, well, for a long time I've struggled with what it, what it really meant. So Revelation 3.20 says, see, it's the words of Jesus, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now, do you see something odd about that? It says that Jesus is knocking on the door, knocking on the door of our hearts. He wants to come in. But what does it say he's going to do when he gets in? He doesn't say, I want to come in, and I'm going to straighten everything out. I want to come in, and I want to give you something, or you give me something, or I'm going to tell you some rules. No, he says, I want to come in and eat with you. I thought, well, that's so odd. Why does Jesus, in a spiritual sense, want to come in and and eat with me? Well, it's the same message we see here for for Peter in in John 21. Jesus is saying, I want you to slow down. I want you to sit down. I want you to spend time with me. I want you to listen to how much I love you and what I have done to make you right with the Father. Listen, the way you come back to Jesus is not by some extraordinary, extreme action. It's not that. Well, so what is it? What is it? It's got to be something, Pastor. What is it? Well, number two, our journey back must begin by accepting the forgiveness of the Lord. I really think that Jesus set this whole situation up to remind Peter of his sin. When you think about it now, Jesus and Peter are sitting around a fire. When was the last time Peter was around a fire? Well, the night he betrayed Christ. I like think it was a reminder. Uh, we see here that Jesus asks the question, do you love me more than all of these? And, and I think that's interesting because that's the same words, it's the same phrase that, uh, that Peter had used just a few days earlier when he said, if all of these deny you, I will never deny you. So Jesus is just reminding him. Do you really love me more? More than all of these, like you said? And then the obvious thing is Jesus asked the question, the same question, really, three times in a row. What's the point of that? Jesus, hard of hearing or something? Why, why does he keep asking the same question? I, I think it's, it's to remind Peter of his threefold denial. So what's Jesus trying to do? Is he trying to embarrass Peter? No, I don't think so. I think what he's doing is trying to show Peter that it is not by merit. It is not by your extreme promises and your extraordinary actions that we can sit down, that, that you can be accepted, that you can be forgiven. It's because of what I've done for you. Peter, you are still a sinner. You're still the guy that got in my face and told me I was wrong. You're still the guy that went to sleep when I desperately needed you. You're still the guy who denied me three times. But we're sitting down because forgiveness is not based on what you have done. Jesus was saying forgiveness is based on what what I have done. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, this is so important to, to understand how this impacts our life. When Jesus was on the cross... One of the last things, the last thing, almost the last thing he said was what? It is finished. Finished. What was finished? What was he talking about? Well, our salvation, making it possible that we can be forgiven, that we can be right with the Father. Jesus said, It is finished. But here's how most people hear that as if Jesus said, It is mostly finished. That's, that's how we act. That's how Peter was acting. Well, Jesus, I know you love me, and I know you died for me, and you shed your blood and all those things, and I know that that's meaningful, and that gets me most of the way to you, but now there needs to be a little more. Now I need to jump into the sea and swim to you. Now I need to drag all of this stuff to you. Now I need to make these extraordinary promises. See, Jesus, you got it most of the way. You got it mostly finished, but now I got to do the rest. But Jesus is saying, no, it is completely finished. If we're going to come back to the Lord, uh, we've got to understand it's not by our struggle and our strain and our extraordinary promises, but it starts by us fully accepting the forgiveness of God. Listen, it is finished. Pastor, what do I have to do to get right with God again? I've been unfaithful. I've... I've, uh, Said things that weren't true. I've embarrassed the church, and I've hurt my, my husband or my my wife. I've I've uh, brought shame to my parents. Pastor, what do I need to do? G- give me a give me a list. That's that's what people want. Give me a list. That's what Peter wanted. He he gave himself a list and he was working on it. But what does Jesus say? It is finished. I'm gonna let that sink in. And then that brings us to the third, third thing that's necessary for us to come back to the Lord, and it is this. Our daily choice must be to love Jesus more than. More than what? Well, we'll see in a moment. But, but Jesus asked this question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Doesn't it seem like that's an odd question to ask? I mean, Jesus could have asked some other questions. I mean, at first glance, I could suggest to Jesus some better questions to ask. Maybe Jesus should have said, Peter, do you promise that you will never deny me again? I mean, let's get to where the rubber meets the road, Peter. That's where all of this started. You denied me. You denied me three times. Peter, do you promise you will never deny me again? I mean, doesn't that seem like a good question? That's what I would have told Jesus to ask, but that's not what he asked. He said, do you love me? Let me give you another question. He could have said, Peter, will you promise never to fall asleep again when I ask you to pray? Peter, this, this was my most difficult hour. I was in the garden. I was sweating great drops of blood. I needed the three of you to pray. Peter, you're important to me. I needed you to pray and you failed. So here's the question I have for you, Peter. Will you promise never to fall asleep when you pray again? Do you promise? That's, I think that's a good question, but that's not what Jesus asked. He said, do you love me? Peter could have been asked this by Jesus. Jesus. Do you promise never to lose control and pull out your fishing knife and start swinging when something doesn't go your way? Do you promise to keep it under control, Peter? You've got to have control of your emotions. Do you promise, Peter, you'll you'll, you'll keep this under control? But Jesus doesn't ask that. He just says, "Do, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? See, as we come back to the Father, we come back to the Lord, it's not by some grand promise. It's, we have to fully accept that it is finished and Christ has paid for all of our sins, completely paid. But then we choose to love Jesus more. That, that's why Jesus said it over and over and over. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? We have to decide every day. This isn't a a once for all decision. This is a daily decision. Sometimes for me, this is an every hour decision or an every minute decision. We have to say, I love Jesus more. I love Jesus more. I love Jesus more than I love money. You may have to say that over and over. I love Jesus more than I love money. I love Jesus more than I love money. I'm not going to make a decision based on just some financial gain. I'm not going to be dishonest. I'm not going to be deceiving. Because I love Jesus more. I love Jesus more than, more than watching television all day or, 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 or flittering my time away on social media. And, and, and we're tempted and we get pulled into that. And, 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 and some people, that's such a terrible problem. And what you need to say is, I love Jesus more than I love Facebook. I love Jesus more than I love these distractions. seems like I, I talk to more and more people about this every week. Some people need to learn to say, I love Jesus more than I love pornography. I love Jesus more than I love this. I, I, you see, you can call the pastor and, and you can say, I promise, never, ever, 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 never am I going to look at this again or do that again. And, and, and repentance is, is important. It's critical. It's critical. But if you could fix you, you wouldn't have ever needed Jesus to start with. Here's how you do it. I will choose every time I'm tempted. I will just say, I love Jesus more. I love Jesus more than just being accepted and approved of by the people around me. I love Jesus more than I love illicit sex. I love Jesus more than I love sin. So that's, that's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Just do you love me? You're going to face all kinds of problems and all kinds of temptations. But here's the question that ought to ring in your heart, Peter. I'm going to ask it to you over and over and over. Because I want this to always be be the first thought that comes to your mind. Do you love Jesus more than? How do we come back to Christ? Not by some extraordinary means. We fully accept that Jesus has paid the price. All the price. And we choose to love Jesus more than. More than. You know, I titled this message, It's not too late. Because it's not. If you've never, if you've never come to Christ to start with, if there's never been a time in your life when you've when you've trusted Christ for the first time and for all time, listen, it's not too late. You can come to Christ today. We had someone pray to receive Christ in our summit service just this last week. Today, you can pray to receive Christ. And I'd encourage you, as soon as our, our singing begins, just step out and, 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 and talk to me or somebody else that'll be standing here at the front and say, I'm glad it's not too late. I want to come to Jesus. But you know, a lot of us, we have come to Jesus. We're a child of God, and there's no doubt in our minds. But the truth is, we've strayed. And we're still going through the motions like Peter was going through the motions. And we're still here like Peter would have been here. But we're separated. And we're wondering, is it too late? Is it too late? And the postscript to the Gospel of John says it is not too late if you'll come back to Jesus. Trust his forgiveness. And say, I love Jesus more than. Head bowed, eyes closed. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful that there is a postscript to the Gospel of John, your inspired words right here in chapter 21. I'm thankful that Peter's story didn't end with his failure because I don't want my story to end with my failure. I need a postscript. Sometimes there's unfinished business with me. Thank you that you're the kind of Gracious God that gives us the postscript. And I pray today that people will respond, that they will, they will feel the draw of the Holy Spirit to come back to you like Peter came back. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.